Welcome back to Kenny and the Coaches. Today, my guest is the head girls basketball coach at Riverside Indian School in Anadarko. Not going to lie, I didn't know much about Coach James Kelly prior to talking with him. And as you will hear in the podcast, Coach Kelly has had and is having a big impact on our high school athletes in more ways than just on the court. And Coach Kelly and myself found out that we are in the same exclusive club. But that's only for Coach Kelly and myself to know. If you want to know, you'll have to ask us. Here's my conversation with Coach James Kelly. Coach, thanks for taking time to speak with me a little bit today. Hope everything's going okay for you. Yep, everything's going good. and getting excited for uh, basketball season. Yeah. Now, first off, Coach, for those that don't uh, know too much about Riverside, just about who you are, um, kind of give me all the particulars. You know, like where are you from, where I'll be coached, you know, all that fun stuff. Uh, well, uh, my name is James Kelly. Uh, <clears throat> this is my 19th year at Riverside. Uh, it's the only place that I've coached uh, so far before Riverside. I taught uh, GED classes for adult Native Americans in Oklahoma City at this place called the United Urban Indian Council. Um, after that, I, I came to Riverside, and I believe it was 05, 06, uh, and I've been there ever since. Uh, Coach boys for the first seven or eight years and ended up switching over to girls and been with the girls ever since. Yeah. Now you've had have you you've had a few college athletes you've coached, haven't you? Uh yes, I have uh in the last eight eight or nine eight or nine years I've I've got twenty two girls signed to college. That's that's pretty special. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, that's kind of what's bringing the talent in now is mm-hmm. uh they're saying hey you guys are sending kids to the next level and they're mm-hmm. um i've attracted some good talent uh that's come in and 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 been able to play for us and uh of course it's kind of catapulted us in the last uh since last year and uh this year i uh, didn't wasn't sure how much more if i was going to be better or not and, and uh <laughs> we're going to take probably even larger leap this year than than i expected now, for those that don't really know or have never heard of Riverside, kind of tell us about Riverside. Because I know, you know, until I start, and this is uh, bad on my part and bad on probably, you know, my teacher's part coming up in school, but I never really heard of, of Riverside or, and what Riverside was. Can you kind of tell people a little bit about Yes. Well, uh, <clears throat> of course, it goes, I mean, this is basically going to kind of be a history lesson. Uh, and I think a lot of people need that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, back in, you know, in, in the 1800s, um, you know, the United States government started off-reservation boarding schools, which is basically taking kids from the reservation um, after the reservations were set up and basically schooling, uh, you know, with your, I guess you could say, your your regular education mm-hmm. um, for Native, Native Americans now. It's 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 really gravitated from what it originally was to what it is today, because originally it was intended on educating natives, but also kind of getting rid of their culture mm-hmm. and turning them into what you you know the assimilation stuff, which it's not that way anymore. Mm-hmm. We're actually at Riverside. We push our native culture strong, um, and that's you know what makes us separate. Now there's only four. There's, there's a ton of, of reservation boarding schools and a ton of, of tribally owned schools, mm-hmm. but 
there's only four left that are considered off-reservation boarding schools. And Riverside is the oldest and the largest. Oldest uh, being we were established in 1871, so we're at 150 years being in existence. The largest, we have about 500 to 550 kids uh, per year, which that's down this year because of uh, the COVID. But we're usually class 3A. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're class 8 this year because when the pandemic hit, um, we sent all the kids home. The next year we had completely online uh, school mm. and then last year we we came back but because the C- we are a boarding school the CDC limited our uh, attend our, our uh, uh, not attendance but our enrollment mm-hmm. because you can only have two kids per classroom and only 12 kids two kids per dorm room and 12 kids per classroom oh wow so that limited us <clears throat> hugely which took us all the way down from 3A, which is our normal, you know, we've been 3A forever, Mm -hmm. which that's kind of curious. It's kind of funny because not many people know about us, but we're not such a small school that you've never heard of us. We've been class 3A for, you know, since I've been there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and probably prior to that, it's always been 2A, 3A. But, um, so because of that, last year we were in 2A, and then our, whenever we opened back up um, and the limitations we had kept us down last year, you know, because the ADM always goes a year behind, Yeah. Uh, yeah. dropped even further down into Class A, which next year, currently we're at about 205 students or so mm-hmm. in the high school from 9 to 12. So we'll be back up to 2A and hopefully back up to 3A the year after that. Um, but we are the oldest and largest boarding, off-reservation boarding school in the United States, 150 years. The other three are Chamawa Indian School in Oregon, uh, Sherman Indian School in California, and uh, Flandreau Indian School up in South Dakota. Yeah, like I said, I, I'd, I'd heard of Riverside growing up as a, as a kid, but I never really knew the history behind it and how – I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, to me, yep. that's, that's pretty neat that we have something – one of the – only one of only four in the United States, right? You know, right next door to us, and we don't even really hear much about it. You know, so that's. Right. I thought that was. I always kind of think that's kind of neat to hear. You know, to let people know that things like that are in our state. You know. Right. Now, along with that, what are some of the the challenges, and what are some of the advantages that you have there? Wow. Uh, <laughs> that they. I don't want to say they balance each other out. Yeah. Uh, but but they kind of do. Yeah. Uh, Disadvantage, we'll say that first. We get a lot of kids. Like, we we serve basically the entire United States. Mm -hmm. And any kid that is that applies to our school uh, and is accepted, because we do have a uh, we do have an application process that they have to pass. But it isn't what you would consider a private school. A lot of people call us a private school because Mm -hmm. we're a boarding school and because we have applications. But we really only, other than behavior, we don't have what you would consider um, a a way to uh, screen kids Mm -hmm. other than just behavior. Um, So we get good kids, middle-level kids, you know, low-income mm-hmm. kids, it doesn't matter if you're Native American and you apply to the school, as long as you have a decent behavioral history, 
you know, we're going to let you come in. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas other schools like Sequoia, uh, Indian school up in, um, uh, up in another corner of the state, uh, they, they kind of have a GPA, um, mm-hmm. a screening process that they have and stuff like that. So it's a bit different because we are fully funded by the United States government. We're under the department of interior and, um, the Bureau of Indian Education. Uh, Sequoia is also that way, but the Cherokee tribe is who controls them. So they're tribally funded and mm-hmm. government funded. Yeah. Uh, so they operate a little bit different than us, but we are not a private school per se, even though we're classified that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but our kids come from everywhere. At any given time, we have anywhere from 15 to 20 states that we're serving where kids, our kids are coming from. We've had mm-hmm. up to 80 to 85 tribes approximately per year uh, that are on our campus, you know, when we're running at full capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, disadvantage, I would say, is that uh, we don't always get kids that are, and I, and I guess I'm really only speaking athletic, athletically. Yes. We don't mm-hmm. always get kids that come from great programs. We get kids that may not have ever played ever any sport before and will come to school and will have some good talent but have no discipline yeah. or have no idea what it's like to be in a structured offense, defense, uh, and things of that nature. Now, talent-wise, when you're sitting up in a stand and you're looking at the talent, you're like, holy crap, these guys are good. But then there's just that the basic fundamental aspect that uh, when you're a coach, you understand it, yeah. um, that, <clears throat> that, that, that will always show itself in tough situations in games or in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, so luckily, you know, in the last few years, we've had a good retention rate um, athletics-wise, and we've also gotten our kids a, a bit earlier um, because it's it used to be just, you know, kind of high school transfer kids, and they were only allowed to play if they got a hardship, Yeah. Uh, which, which <laughs> a lot of the case happened you know our, a lot of people also think that we just get kids in and we're probably under the microscope with um uh ossa more than anybody else because uh because of how we do operate with our kids transferring in and stuff like that so our paperwork is a heck of a heck of a lot more uh than any other which you would consider a normal public school mm-hmm. um so but advantages is is we do get talent from all over all over the country and you, you, you kind of never know what you're going to get uh, i know another one of the misnomers is that we recruit kids and that's absolutely the opposite of that which is we just get who shows up yeah and and <clears throat> i've had co- you know coaches make comments to me or around me or whatever about man you guys are lucky you get to go get kids and i was like we don't do that yeah they're, they're, as under the microscope as we are Whoever shows up is who we get, and that's if they're able to be eligible to play. Yeah. Uh, now, are we talented? Absolutely. But, I mean, the Native American kids all over the state in Oklahoma, you know, there's a ton of talent here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely a ton of talent. Um, and we do get in-state kids as well. Um, but, you know, uh, again, discipline-wise, you, 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 you could get a kid in that's uh, – I'll give you an example. I've got a six-foot-one post girl who moved in from Arizona. Uh, this year, uh, who's a lefty who can shoot the three and can post, uh, but has literally never played for a school team. Uh, yeah. You look at her and you're sitting there like, holy crap, this girl is uh, probably no less than a D2, D1 talent. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to her, she doesn't have any idea 
you know, yeah. what she's doing. You know, I watched mm-hmm. her do it up and under one day, and I said, who taught you that? She goes, oh, I just taught myself, you know. So I think yeah. that's what you deal with, where you have somebody with extremely high athletic ability mm-hmm. and then no no discipline or structure behind it. So, I mean, it's kind of an advantage and a disadvantage at the same time out there. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I'm, I'm glad you kind of clarified <clears throat> kind of everything that you guys go through because, I mean – in my head, whenever I, you know, kind of did more research on, on Riverside, I was like, you know, you never, you never know from year to year what you're going to have. You that's know? all right. From, from semester to semester. Yeah. I uh, mean, sometimes that, we've got, and that's another thing mentality wise with Native Americans. It's, it's such a different, it's such a different way of thinking. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. I just mean that as in it's literally different. For example, <clears throat> If things happen back at home, because our kids are from out of state, if something happens back at home, mm-hmm. somebody passes away or whatever, because of traditions, yeah, uh, they'll leave school. And that could be your best player. But somebody passed away back home, well, they'll go home. Well, according to their traditions, they may be gone a full week, or they can only, they have to, according to their burial process, they have to wait so many days before they can even bury it. And there, some of them may even have mm-hmm. a mourning process where, you can't do anything in certain situations or circles for an entire year, or there's just a ton of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or in the middle of a season, there, there are ceremonies back home in New Mexico that they call feast time, mm-hmm. and those override everything in their life. And then kids you sit there and tell them, well, we got games. Well, they don't care about that. They're going home to feast. Yeah. And they'll be gone yeah. for a week in the middle of the season, and you can't do nothing about it. Because yeah. <laughs> so, it's the culture thing. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> absolutely. Now, you kind of spoke on it a little bit. How do you think other schools kind of perceive Riverside? Because, like, I mean, I think a lot of people look from the outside looking in, they're like, oh, well, there's just a private school. Like you were saying, you know, they get to pick their kids. I mean, what do you think the overall perception of, of Riverside is? And I, I've heard so many different perspectives over the last 19 years. Yeah. Almost none of it is entirely true. Mm-hmm. Um because they do think we recruit kids. That's incorrect. Um, they do think we're private. That's incorrect. If you, if you go by the definition of what private schools are, if you go by the definitions of the private schools, like uh, nobody pays to go to school at Riverside. Um, we actually, because we're full funded, funded by the government, we, by however many kids we get, that's, the, that's how we get our funding. And that's just like the Johnson O'Malley that's at any public school, however many Native kids you get or you have, that they, they give you funding for that. We're operating under the same uh, blanket with that. Yeah. Um, athletically, um, I know that, that people are always probably uh, semi-impressed with the talent that we're put out. Mm-hmm. And I would wager to say that everybody is always – and I don't want to say scared to play us, but we are that wild card where uh, you only want to play them. We only want to play us once a year. Yeah. And I have a really hard time with that because I actually do the scheduling mm-hmm. uh, myself. And I, I, we, it's hard for us to get home and homes. And we don't have a conference. Um, and we're that school that says, well, you know, we, we want to play you because you guys are competitive, but we only want to play you the one time. Um, and it's like, I don't know. It's, 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 it all, it, to me, because of where I'm at, it's, 
it's frustrating mm-hmm. because everybody's job as a coach in a program is to put the best team that you can on the floor and do what you can to build your program so that you're a state tournament contender. Mm-hmm. And we do that just like everybody else. And and I and I don't mean this to be racial, but I've witnessed it and experienced it for this is my nineteenth year. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to get beat by a bunch of brown kids. Yeah, <laughs> There's no yeah. other way to put it. I hear you. Um, I hear you. And, 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 and because in the scheduling, there's other teams that are more racially balanced, and everybody's okay to play them. And there's or there's other teams that are really really good, um, and and everybody's okay to play them. You know, but um, and they have but they have those teams have home and homes. Mm-hmm. but we don't and so it's kind of like you know well, well we'll play you but we're only going to play you once and i even have coaching buddies that i've been coaching with for years that tell me the exact same thing yeah and we're close close friends and they're saying nope i'm only playing you once and i'm like oh well, gee thanks you know <laughs> but uh to me that's a testament to what we're doing as a an athletic program mm-hmm. uh and i'm i'm, I'm you know, I can only speak for for myself and my program, the basketball program, and, and our programs like our our cross country team is probably the most consistent uh, since I've been there at taking kids to state and and, and competing at state um, out there. Uh, of course, you know every, everybody knows Native Americans are really known well for long distance running. Yeah, uh, we have a guy named James Nels who came actually came from Sequoia who also has a powerhouse you know cross country team and he kind of transplanted. The uh, you know from there, and he's done the same thing out at Riverside. Yeah. Now, being around as as long as you have, nineteen years at, at one school. What what kind of has contributed to your longevity there? Because that's that's a pretty long time to be at one school. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest with you, man. I I I can't answer that question. I I really can't. Um, I I. Definitely can say that I'm blessed to have been at that school for that long. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been a lot of change in administrations. There's certainly been the up and down seasons. Now I've only had one losing season, and that was my first year as a boys coach. Uh, my very first year. Wow. Uh, <laughs> since then, I've had decent success. I've got over uh, 200 wins. Uh, I want to say 224, I believe, is the current count. Um, and uh, I'll be honest with you and say it's probably just the, uh, the you know, praying mm-hmm. uh, for success every year, you know, from uh, my belief in, in God and things like that, that has allowed me to be able to be there that long. And, and I try to build my reputation on integrity and doing things correctly and building uh, Native American uh, athletes and students you know, as students and, and, and stuff like that. So uh, I, I really couldn't answer how or why. I do know that we have, you know, with recent success that it's been a long time coming mm-hmm. uh, building. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll be honest with you and say that it's probably been through failure that I've learned, um, you know, how to get to where we're at. How do you play these kids that are basic fundamentally deprived or lacking and how do you put that in a successful 
programs so that you're competing against top programs. And it's just, like I said, I've been learning through failure, basically. And, uh, and I tell my kids that if you're not making mistakes, then you're not, what are you doing? You know, if yeah. you're not going hard enough to make a mistake, then what are you doing? Yeah. Because that's how I've had to, to learn to coach. And I've, I've, I've asked super successful uh, coaches that have coached in girls basketball, like, uh, uh, you know, when Harold had, uh, uh, I can't remember, he's at Cameron now, I can't remember his last name. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and uh, Sequoia's coach, and they were, and uh, Anadarko's coach, obviously, because we're in the same town, and they all, when I talk to those guys and the success that they've had in multiple state tournament uh, appearances, and it basically comes down to, they were coaches 25 years or so before they really started to get that, um, those teams that they were just consistently, you know, top-notch mm-hmm. programs because they've been coaching for 25 years. So with that being said, having, you know, not being afraid to ask questions and seeking answers and being where I'm at at the beginning, really at the cusp of consistent state tournament appearances with the talent that's continuously coming in because, you know, we, we missed state by one one point last year. I mm-hmm. uh, wasn't sure I was going to get any better this year. Uh, had a really good summer, went 26-1, and one, only lost the class in SAS, which everybody knows who they are. Yeah. Um, lost to them by four points and only had five players that particular game. <laughs> uh, and, but beat, but beat uh, teams that are well-known powerhouses like we beat pittsburgh twice of course everybody knows they were 32 and 0 um you know uh, who else would be kingston uh ampo just consistent top five teams in their classes and we beat them all yeah uh so i was like well i i only need a little bit more here and there and then i've got two girls that show up that have never played before that are both six foot <laughs> yeah <laughs> so <that> helps. <laughs> you're happy about that and some other kids that came back and uh, uh, and it's just like, you know, at this point with where we're at, I've only got two seniors. I've already got seven kids with college offers, and you know, only two of them being seniors. Wow. I'm at that point where it should be, if it continues to go as well as it's going, um, you know, a consistent state tournament program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's you know blessed to be able to. Uh, to say that, and I feel like because I've asked questions that I am ahead of the curve where I'm not at year 25 to 30 before I'm getting that success. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I just, you know, I, it's it's been a long time coming on to say that. Yeah, but I bet, I mean, I, I, but I bet it's a little bit different for you asking those questions because you're not, those other guys really aren't in the same situation that you're in, you know. I mean, you're you're basically – I'm not going to say starting from scratch, but, I mean, like you said, those two girls move in and you didn't know that was going to happen. And then, you know, as soon as those girls get in, you don't know what they know until you get with them. So, I mean, it's the, – the 19 years and having, you know, the success that, that you're going to have that you want to have, I bet that's, that's probably a, a big challenge and a big uh, – you know, kind of motivating factor for you. If I were, you know, trying to, if I were to put myself in your shoes, that's kind of how I would see it. It's almost like it's new every year. It, it literally is. And, and, and I've, I've probably <clears throat> come to be an expert on flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's funny to say, but when you, when I talk to other coaches, they can literally tell me what their program is going to be and what they're going to have all yeah. the way down to sixth grade. Mm-hmm. I never have that. 
I never have that advantage, and I literally have to make on-the-spot decisions um, with what I have, what time of team I'm going to have. I can't have a consistent offense because my team might not fit that. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. I, I The year right before the pandemic hit, um, I had a really good group of seniors. There were seven seniors. Um, uh, my 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 starting five literally all got signed to college. So that, with that being said, they're that good. Then those younger girls weren't going to get a lot of playing time. Well, when they when they got up there, the normal system that I had been running with the with that group prior to did not fit mm-hmm. that group. And I had to we we tried it the first semester, and I literally had to throw my entire system away at the Christmas break and I had two weeks of, of research to find something that was going to fit this group and I I found a good defense that I really is probably my staple today that really has given, given me a ton of success because at that point we were really probably the slowest team I ever coached. Well I took that same defense and now applied to length and athleticism and speed it's, I mean, it's, 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 I'll just, I'll just go this far. Brett Sanders, everybody knows who Brett Sanders is. He's at Elgin mm-hmm. State Tournament uh, champion. Mm-hmm. I said it's the best zone he's ever seen in his coaching career. Uh, that right there yeah. speaks volumes to the success of what that zone is doing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I mean, I, it, the, everything that I do is, is basically on the spot decisions and, and uh, you know it's you just have to learn to adapt you know there's I can't remember what movie it is but it's adapt or die basically yeah <clears throat> and I've had to do that uh, in the middle of a season you know so uh, like I said it, it's everything's been learning through failure yeah now coming up is, is coaching something that you always wanted to do yeah, uh, well, let me see. I don't. How do I put this? <laughs> In my family, basketball is just what we do. Uh, my dad played at USAO, mm-hmm. Chick Shea, um, and was good enough that he he got a a tryout with the Dallas Mavericks. Oh wow! Um, okay. But because but because uh, I was just born, uh, my mother and grandmother told him. Uh, that's not you're not supposed to be chasing pipe dreams um, so he didn't do that you know but I'm sitting there like what are you guys thinking man are you kidding me <laughs> yeah <laughs> give the guy a shot but anyway um, my whole family that's that's what we do we play ball and, and we're always around basketball it's been that way for as long as I've ever been alive um, and I was in Anadarko I'm originally from Anadarko we lived there Mm-hmm. Um, and when my ninth grade, my eighth grade year, my dad said, Hey, do you want to play college basketball? I said, you know, absolutely. So he transferred me to Carnegie because coach Shumpert uh, was over in Carnegie, you mm-hmm. know, when it was, when it was the real, the real deal hoop city. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I transferred there in my ninth grade year. Of course, the success we had, I was 29 and 0 my senior year state champion played college ball from there. Uh, USAO, I played two years, and I transferred to Southeastern Oklahoma State, played my last two years there. Um, and then I got my master's from Cameron uh, after that. And it so it was coaching my original intention. No, but just being around basketball yeah, 
long a long time even when i first went to riverside it was not my intention to coach i just wanted to go work because at the time i was still playing independent basketball and and i had people calling me up and saying hey we're gonna go play here and they would pay my plane ticket and all i had to do was show up and go play and if we won the tournament we would get money from it yada 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 yeah. and so I, my, at that point i wasn't ready to to begin coaching because i still needed my free time yeah. and the superintendent at the time don sims um, my first day there we had he said hey we're having a coach meeting at 4 30 and you're gonna be there and i'm like <laughs> what you yeah. know he didn't ask me but the guy me. just hired me so i'm not gonna tell him no <laughs> yeah and uh they they uh made me the ninth grade boys coach and i'm just like well this ain't what i wanted you know yeah but i'm glad he did it now because you know where, where i'm at and what it's done for me um i've even been able to expand into uh, recruiting because uh you know sending my kids to college i've got a lot of college contacts and uh uh i've pretty much got a national uh recruiting service right now that i do for it's native i help everybody but it's native american based and we're a nonprofit organization and i don't charge anybody to uh you know everybody needs that help to get you to the next level and mm-hmm. um so that that basically started from riverside because i had one one of my players said coach i don't want to go to a tribal college i want to go to a regular college so that kind of caused me to have to expand into expanding my college contacts just kind of went from there yeah how how big has that gotten for you that, that oh wow thing? um <laughs> I've got, I, it's literally worldwide. I don't know if you guys know, uh, this is probably my largest accomplishment for, for a kid. You know, we've got, of course, we've gotten some kids division one, mm-hmm. but if anybody knows uh, by Job uh, at Community Christian, he's the number one recruit in Oklahoma uh, okay. for football, okay. just committed to Michigan State, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. He contacted me, and he's from Senegal. Senegal and um, okay. trying to get over here. Well, at the time I had a ton of uh, prep school contacts and stuff like that. So we got him over here, tried to get him over here. Nothing ever worked out. So I finally called um, the Oklahoma Storm uh, and they had a, a contact that they said, yeah, we, I showed him the film. They said, yeah, we, we can get him over here and let's see what we can get him going with. And, uh, he came over here. His original intention was to play basketball and a uh, heck of an athlete, obviously. Went mm-hmm. to the state finals last year, got beat by Millwood in the last second shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but didn't, didn't have, never played football ever before. Gets over here, you know, of course, now he's the number one recruit for defensive end and wide receiver. Yeah. Um, but he's just that much of an athlete. But I was the contact that got him connected to get over here. Um, and you know he went from uh, kind of living a tough life to now he's living with uh, you know if anybody knows Dr. Bond, uh, the pediatrician or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, orthopedic surgeon I believe he's he's his life has completely changed. Yeah, uh, and that's why that's why he contacted me. It was for a life change, and I don't want to take any credit for that other than the fa- the fact that. I helped him get the connections that got him over here that his life has now changed. Mm-hmm. He went to where he's got his own basketball gym in his own house. Mm-hmm. Um, and just mm-hmm. stuff like that where I can say it really wasn't me. It was just me being used mm-hmm. um, as a vessel to help 
con- connect a kid to a life-changing situation. Uh, and that's really all I'm trying to do is connect kids to the next level. Because, you know, you never know what coaches are going to like in a kid. Yeah. And I can never mm-hmm. guarantee that a kid gets signed, but I can definitely help them uh, improve their chances. And, and you know, that's kind of really all we're trying to do. Uh, you said you said Senegal, right? Yes. A different that's, country. That's a, originally. <laughs> uh, that, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that is kind of – I bet and I know that you do that. You're 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 doing this for the kids, but I bet that kind of makes you feel good, you know, when that you were able to help this kid better himself, you know, and that's really yep. what all what we're coaching, you know, the the stuff that you're doing outside of coaching, that's what it's all for, is to help kids better themselves, you know, hopefully yep. give them better situations or better opportunities than what we had. You know, and that's that's pretty awesome. That's yep. pretty awesome. Now, talk a little bit about um, the podcast, the other podcasts that you do. <clears throat> well, uh, it's been it's been changed recently, but uh, what happened was is I I was trying to expand into football mm-hmm. uh, with the with the college connections, which I'm still kind of on the fence about a lot of stuff like that. Like I've got kids that are asking for help with that, but anyway, I had contact with a guy out of Georgia, and he said he had somebody who wanted to do an interview uh, similar to this one mm-hmm. uh, and this guy was based out of Los Angeles and it was called the expect to win experience or the expect to win show mm-hmm. and all he did was is he he um, he interviews kids and, and wanted to give kids you know knowledge and stuff where the recruiting aspect uh, of college was was uh, um, you know, where that was concerned so that you know because the recruiting game is so different than what people think everybody thinks it's this courtship of coaches and they just run around and they just give you gifts and want you to come visit and treat you nice Mm -hmm. there's so much more that goes into that education literally needs to be done with that yeah so on the on the interview i explained that to him and i explained to him a ton of different things for example how many people get upset whenever they're offered an academic scholarship versus an athletic scholarship and they kind of get turned off by that mm-hmm. but i explained to them how volatile an athletic scholarship is versus how stable an academic scholarship is mm. and he was kind of you know he didn't know that so after the interviews over what he said hey man he said would you mind coming on every week and doing a recruiting tip section on our show uh, which, you know, it's about five minutes a week and um, just kind of have your own segment. So, well, absolutely, you know. So uh, I've been doing that. It just kind of fell into it, you know. Um, again, I, that's one of those things where you just kind of do what you do and, 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 you know, when things happen in a positive manner, it just kind of ends yeah. up happening. So uh, he had he had a uh, – his podcast was based out of L.A. His co-host was from Alabama, and then I came in from Oklahoma and – <laughs> get a section every month or every every week on on saturday so uh you know and i just give tips on like how to put your how to put your uh uh your highlight film together mm-hmm. what to do like filling out your fafsa form and making sure that's ready how to make sure your um uh, your your uh transcript is ready you know to send out and all that stuff like that so yeah uh just kind of fell into that also yeah now to kind of backtrack a little bit, I kind of on the you were talking about the the organization that you're part of, the NSAP. 
and uh-huh. kind of going into the Native American athletes, that's something I'd ask. I'd interviewed uh, Coach Reed you know, a couple of weeks ago and asked him this question: How do you how do you think the Native American high school athlete is viewed? Like, do you feel like? Because I've always kind of felt like, you know, it's kind of putting a, a stereotype on things. But I always felt like Native American athletes are some of the better athletes. You know, absolutely. But it doesn't seem like they get that respect or that uh, notoriety or even as many looks as other kids will. I mean, why do you think that is? And I mean, do you think that's kind of an accurate statement? It is, it is accurate, but there is a reason behind it. And I say that because I've been so in tune with the Native American athlete, not only coaching them, but also now at this point, sending them to the next level. Mm-hmm. Not just my kids, but other kids. You sit there and talk about, and 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 this this is going to go back to even outside of uh, outside of just high school sports. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but even when I was younger, uh, when we would fly around and, and play in different tournaments, there would always be there would be sometimes we would be a native team and play in open tournaments mm-hmm. and against other races, whatever. And there was one particular time where, you know, of course in Indiana, they always have Mr. Basketball. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you have Mr. Basketball, um, you know, playing your tournament, obviously everybody's like, you know, well, this guy's going to be good. You know, you're the best, you're literally the best player in Indiana. Indiana is <laughs> known for its basketball. Mm-hmm. So he comes to play in a tournament and this kid can't do anything. Everybody's like, I thought this kid was good. He's getting lit up by every team. You know, mm-hmm. he, he, it's just, and so you sit there and you say, you observe and you say, no, well, there's, what's one or the other? Either this kid really isn't good or Native American basketball is a lot better than what he thought. Mm-hmm. Now, whenever I go into the places that I've gone into and I've seen the things that I've seen, Native Americans, when they're grouped together against other teams, always, almost always, and of course there's, you know, there's teams that aren't very good, but there's always teams that consistently compete. And I'll give you an example of that. You got a team that some of my girls play on um, that they've won two out of three nationals this past summer. And the one that they didn't win, they was, they got third. Well, they take this team and another team that was from from out in uh, the Nevada area, and they have uh, the um, uh, the Women's Hall of Fame. It's called the Ladies Ball Tournament. Mm-hmm. Well, there's the Native American team from Nevada. They're called the Lady Sleepers. They go up in or- the Washington area and they have a regional tournament and they win that pretty easy. And no, no, no other, no other, no other full Native American team has done that. So then, uh, the team from here, they go play in regionals that's here in Irving, Texas, and they won easily. Even in the finals, they won by twelve. Everybody else, they were beaten by thirty and forty points. Yeah, <clears throat> and they were told the same thing. Where we have never had a Native American team win this tournament well both teams are native american complete top to bottom and they're both going to the world games where they're going to be playing against other nations mm-hmm. in new york uh next month wow. and that's just consistently around 
you know, across the board that I've always seen that Native American athletes are able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the question is, how come they don't get those looks? Mm-hmm. And the reason is because of Native American culture, and this is not negative, this is just how things are. Mm-hmm. Family is so important, and the dependent upon the family is huge. Yeah. And separation from that almost causes you to feel absolutely alone or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And in other cultures, it's like your job is to, we're teaching you what you need to get to, and then you're supposed to get out of here and stand on your own two feet and just get out. And if you're not making your way in the world, you know, that's kind of how their culture is. Well, native culture is so together all the time. They travel together all the time. They see the same people every week at powwows when they go on powwow season. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just together all the time, all the time. It's family, family, family. Yeah. So when you take a kid that is raised in that culture and you send them to another culture that they're not used to. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the communities that they're from, it's either all native or majority native. And even like in Carnegie, there was a lot of the white kids that were speaking Kiowa because they were around natives all the time. Yeah. And that's part of what we were, what was going on in Carnegie. Well, you take those kids out of that. And even my brother, uh, my younger brother, who, who got a lot of Division One looks and played prep school down at uh, Cornerstone Christian in Texas. He's a Native American. Got down there, and they were asking him stuff like, do you still live in teepees and hunt buffaloes? <laughs> and he's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, you know, but it's because nobody, like yeah. you said, Riverside's been here 150 years, and you're around here, and you don't know anything about us. Yep. It's the same thing with the culture people who don't have like in texas how many native tribes are down there mm-hmm. literally just one the alabama cachadas who's um they're, they're they're the only tribe in texas and they're down by louisiana um so what do they know about natives absolutely nothing mm-hmm. except what they learned in the history class mm-hmm. and all they were taught in the history class is that we live in teepees and hunt buffaloes yeah, and on stuff like that. Well, they don't know. They, they, you know, we're not seen. So, mm-hmm. what do you think? You're only going to talk about what you know. Yeah. And so, when you take a kid that's so engrossed in family and culture, and you take them out of that, and then you have these people that that, and and I want to use the actual word ignorance and the definition of ignorance in the real sense, meaning you don't know any better. Yeah. <clears throat> but when you take people and you put them out there and you they're talking to ignorant people about native culture and they seem absolutely completely uh alone yeah nobody who who can you connect with who knows and understands what you are and where you come from mm-hmm. nobody so then you're by yourself in a lonesome situation where nobody that relates to you and what do you do you usually end up saying you know what this is too much for me and they either transfer back home Mm-hmm. closer to home to play or they choose to not play yeah. and and um it's as it's as simple as that as it is that what you want for native kids absolutely not but what i will say is is that there are now athletes who are breaking those barriers mm-hmm. um 
Trey Waters is one for the Thunder. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Angel Goodrich is one um, who played for the Seattle Storm. Um, and she played in, in a WNBA also. And there were some in the past, you know, like Ronaldo Vicente, who played for the Phoenix Mercury and, and, and those players like that. Mm-hmm. There's no, unless there's a model to follow, then it's hard for you to share that knowledge. And so it's getting there now, but for so long it wasn't. There wasn't those athletes to follow to to uh, uh, to be an example for. Sure. Yeah. Yep. I never really thought of it in those terms. Yeah. Do you do you think that's something that kind of scares off recruiters too? I mean, like uh, colleges as well. Is I think there. I think that there is. I mm-hmm. think that there is that. Um, I guess you could say uh, that thought about natives. Now, I will say this because I am where I'm at in the position I'm in. Mm-hmm. I will always encourage college coaches who recruit native players yeah. to get more than one native player. Now, that's not a bad thing because if you look at the native talent as a whole, mm-hmm. they're better than a lot of the other kids. Yeah. And yeah. they're and they're quieter. Yeah. They're not out. Yeah. They're just they just play. Well, mm-hmm. when I've gotten some some coaches now that they're almost exclusively recruiting native talent. Up to half of their teams are native kids. Mm-hmm. So what does that say? That says number one, they understand that if I get more than one kid that these kids will stay. Number two, you wouldn't keep recruiting those kids if you weren't having success. Absolutely, yeah. So then it just becomes, how can I, as native student-athlete prospects, convince more coaches to recruit that way? Mm-hmm. And once that happens, we can begin to expand on getting more native kids to the next level. Because eventually, the, their experiences, they will go home and share their experiences. Here's how I coped with my experience and I'm going to share that information with you, the younger kids, so that you can do the same thing. And eventually it becomes a norm where they're beating the system where they, that they didn't used to beat before. Yeah, absolutely. But it's a process. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm glad it's coming to that too. I mean, I'm glad it's getting to that point now where the, the barrier is kind of being broken, you know? Yep. Um, well, coach, do I, I'm sorry. I said it definitely is. Yeah. Well, Coach, I've taken way too much of your time today, and I, <laughs> I appreciate you doing it. Um, man, and good luck. I'll be keeping track of you this season. I appreciate it. Now, if, where, where we're at this year is, is uh, uh, if it ain't state, it's basically state championship or bust, and if it ain't, it's going to be my fault. <laughs> 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 We've got that many kids that are that are high-level uh, players, so. And I, one thing that I liked, I hope that uh, our kids here, especially in girls' basketball, uh, that were fun to watch and we get a lot of uh, crowd attention. Big thanks to Coach Kelly for doing the podcast. I hope all of you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking with him. And thank you for listening to Kenny and the Coaches. Go ahead and subscribe to my podcast and tell others about it. That's Kenny and the Coaches. That's Kenny with an E. Until next time.